Welcome to What's Korean Cinema, episode 49 on Hyundai, or Tidal Wave. And Korean cinema enters the game of uh, making a big budget disaster movie featuring a Tidal Wave, which is actually a tsunami, but uh, we'll get to the technicality, I suppose. But uh, 2009's uh, box office smash, uh, Hyundai, was uh, eventually called in English a Tidal Wave. And uh, we're here to uh, look at its uh, impact and see if we're swept away by it and with that nasty jokey business out of the way i'm gonna be here with me as paul queen of hangol celluloid hello good evening ladies and gentlemen hope you're well <laughs> that's uh like uh, i'm gonna write it because i thought of it and it's not great but i'm gonna write it anyway because uh i'm 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 all about making myself into a fool on these shows uh, whenever i can so that's uh... it's fine if you hadn't done it we would have been disappointed i suppose uh some old email i was like hey the obvious pun was missing from the show. Oh, fine. Uh, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Well, Tidal Wave it is, uh, or Hyundai. And uh, we'll get going with uh, what this movie uh, contains, but what the episode contains uh, in a little bit. Uh, and as we did last episode, we uh, will uh, throw out the plug to a Blu-ray release that uh, me and Paul were both involved with. We provided the audio commentary for Woman Chasing the Butterfly of Death by filmmaker Kim ki of uh, The Housemaid of Fame and tons of other varied uh, movies. Uh, uh, it was put out last year in 2019 by Mondo Macabro. It's a region all release uh, as far as I remember. So you can pick it up uh, from Amazon or from the big cartel website that Mondo Macabro themselves um, uh, hosts and are in charge of. And uh, we'll link to to that. And uh, just to repeat some stuff, uh, you, you can expect from the commentary a sort of podcast approach, meaning that uh, we discuss the movie largely and comment on the screen every now and again uh, so it, it's really about the movie it's not just about the kim ki career because we have a lot to say about the movie but the analysis didn't require being screen specific every damn scene which is kind of not the way i like commentaries um you know whether directors commentaries or scholar commentaries i like uh, talk a talk about the movie so heck i mean a commentary to me paul doesn't even need to be someone in a booth talking to the movie you can have separately recorded interviews and then edit totally, that into totally. an audio piece that plays over the movie, the Criterion style, if you will. Uh, yeah. And then, that's what I try to do. I try to make it a, a discussion between you and I. And we were very happy with the results. Uh, of course, we're no experts, but uh, we've had some fine notices, uh, nice reviews yeah. of uh, the fact that the track was informative and entertaining and that we kept it going for two hours. And uh, that uh, was a nice surprise um, when reviews started coming in for for our audio commentary and uh, it was challenging and also familiar at the same time because we prepared like a podcast only we needed to be done by two hours and uh, we were as a matter of fact i'm i'm deeply proud of the fact that we we pretty much hit the two hours perfectly you know and we only we only needed to do it once no no re-recordings or anything we just i think we just hit a stream and i hope people enjoy it and uh, again, to uh, repeat and emphasize what we did last episode, uh, you, your contributions to the disc extended. Uh, no, you were not only on the commentary, but you were involved in uh, preparing the video interviews, uh, but not uh, uh, but not in person. You didn't go to Korea to interview these people, but no. So essentially, they had you know a, a guy that was brought in to get in touch with the the cast or the directors and get to interview them and then he got in touch with me and said you know grab questions together for actress libashi please and i'd put a tree together and send them and then he'd go and ask them so i was i was 
you know, from a, a, an international UK point of view and, and personal point of view, I was I was very proud to be asked and and know proud to know that when I watch those interviews, I may not be there, but they're answering my questions, which I'm also quite proud of. So it was a it was a wonderful opportunity. I'm so glad we got to do what we got to do. And it, I'm, I'm glad to hear that that was a well synced sort of relationship. Uh, you know, sending questions or maybe some feedback on them. And I don't know, but uh, it was nice to hear that they uh, maybe just trusted your judgment and used uh, your entire 500 plus uh, set of questions. I don't know. <laughs> oh, steady. Oh, not that just well, for the Lee Wyshe leading lady interview. <laughs> So it's Tuesday. What did you do today? No, um, uh, you know, I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm very, as I say, proud to have been asked. And I think, I think, not to blow my own trumpet, I think the interview questions are are quite well focused. I'm quite proud of those as well. So hopefully, if you guys grab the movie, which you really should see anyway, because it's a surreal roller coaster ride. You know, it makes sense, I, I suppose, for Monda Macabre to bring it out because they they put out, you know, cult movies is a is suppose a way too easy label to put on com- the company, but it's not like they also release Memories of Murder and yeah, uh, exactly. also uh, the latest and brightest out of Hollywood. It, that's not their thing, so it kind of fits their mo, I suppose. Uh, this uh, surreal, abstract, funny. Uh, big philosophy piece of a movie that uh, we try to untangle at the best of our abilities uh. totally and you know i think i think we did well but uh, you know on top of that when you when you look at korean cinema that's available on you know dvd and blu-ray normally or even on the korean film archives youtube channel for free there are a lot of films that are there and then will disappear and they're, they're increasingly disappearing. Um, a lot of Kim Ki Young stuff. So, if you've got the chance to get a Blu-ray of *Woman Chasing the Butterfly of Death*, which you know is just one of his archetypal films, grab it because it's not anywhere else. And the the quality of the versions that were available legitimately before this release were image-wise, virtually unwatchable. So having a res- fully restored version by, from Mondo Macabro is, you know, a godsend. I'm I'm so happy that I can sit and, and watch this film as it should be watched whenever I want, even without listening to my own voice. Yep, but uh, we also do that frequently, of course. I don't know how the release pattern or the release frequency of the Korean Film Archive's own Blu-rays, uh, how, how that is nowadays if they put out several releases per year but uh, hopefully this deletion from their free to view uh, archive on youtube means that they're, they're gonna handle some some of their own stuff because i gather that uh, the korean film archive are quite they put in the work to make these releases western friendly meaning that not just the movies are subtitled but whenever they bring in uh, directors or uh, or scholars or writers or whatever to do commentaries, they've subtitled those into English. Totally, totally. And hopefully that will um, remain true, and uh, also it will mean that they, they perhaps are going to take on some Kim Ki-young movies themselves in, in Korea and make these releases as deluxe as they've been in the past, because uh, that that's effort that I wasn't expecting even from the film archive to subtitle the supplements, you know what I mean? You know, and from, from my Point, even my point of view, you, you know, you, for years you buy Korean films and even though your Korean's getting better, Koreans talk really fast. So, you, you know, um, not having subtitles on extras sort of makes them a 
a damn difficult watch, a real task. So, you know, Koffa subtitling everything and releasing it in, in high quality is, is huge. And I would hope, like you said, the deletions mean something's in the works. I just, I worry. I worry. Do, do you know how the release pattern, how it appears? Or is it like uh, one release a year or it takes years between them doing like Blu-ray releases of... Um... They seem they 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 go in in leaps and bounds. You know they'll they'll do a couple and then you won't hear anything for quite a while and then one will come and then nothing and they've obviously got a schedule. But finding out what that schedule is is just impossible. And you know and if they're doing restorations, those take time. So mm, sure, I mean even some of the movies that uh, maybe still are on the channel and but, but certainly ended up on Blu-ray. So some of the sources weren't even from Korea necessarily. Like uh, I think it was Aimless Bullet. They had a English subtitled festival print f- from the US, but found in China or something like that. Like it, it, it's not as easy as just opening up a door in Korea and boom, there's your print. No, exactly. You know the, the number of films that they've found, you know, in in attics in China and stuff. It's just it's insane that some of the things are so elusive so non-existent seemingly so when something turns up i'll take it from wherever it comes from as the kofa channel grew they started to feature quite good looking hd uh, version of the prints including for a kim ki young movie or two I, I i remember i think insect woman regardless if it's there or not that that had like an hd option on yeah, stream totally. and and it looked good too it looked um, sharper and uh, a little bit more um, like recently transferred so um uh, so hopefully that means good things for future releases. Um, Tidal Wave uh, or Hyundai, obviously available because it's a 2009 movie blockbuster. So it's not like that's hidden away in China and uh, in, an, in an addict or anything. Uh, you probably can't because it's a file somewhere. <laughs> yeah, totally. Things have changed. Exactly. Things have changed. Uh, so, I mean, is that a thing you care about uh, if um, or know about if Korea has like uh, gone all digital or is some filmmakers uh, still uh, insisting on shooting on film like uh, Chris Nolan does over in the West? Yeah, very much so. I mean, digital is a, a thing, but so is real filmmaking. It still is probably... You know, as much if not more so than, you know, small Hollywood. Um, I I think that's a really positive thing. And and even now, when you watch a lot of, you know, modern Korean films, you can actually tell. You can tell when something's digital. So to this day, so the fact that it shows that it's not, I think, is very very positive. And I'm quite glad about it. I I, I like real rather than digital. And I'm glad so some filmmakers can state their case that no, I want to shoot on film. Uh, totally uh, for this one you know and um, and the next one might be digital for for a variety of reasons so uh, because i think he still does that thing chris nolan i'm not a big fan of chris nolan but i think he's still very uh insistent on uh he wants to shoot on film even if he makes a big uh, computer heavy effects movie like dunkirk or whatever he he he, he insists on the sort of organic look and uh, the real grain of it all, you know. So you know, I, I I do kind of agree with him, even though, like you say, I'm not I'm not the biggest Chris Nolan fan, you know. For, yeah, watchable. 
Uh, at any rate, um, with uh, Babylon and Offsound, I'm going to keep the contact information short. Uh, so for all your Podcast on Fire network needs, including the back catalogue of What's Korean Cinema, find out on podcastonfire.com and find us over on uh, the social media sites. We have buttons at the top of our website going to Facebook and Twitter. And you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and stream us on Stitcher Radio and Spotify. And uh, my writing on Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies uh, with occasional dips into Korea. I mean, even in my research today. There was a little bit of Korean connection in the research, but uh, that's just because uh, Korean performers tend to make their way into martial arts movies and things like that. So yeah, yeah. I did a little bit on uh, Casanova Wong, the famous uh, martial artist Casanova Wong, because uh, he's connected to Bruce Lee in some shape or form, and I'm doing some research on Bruce Lee. So go to the site for social media links, but uh, for you, Paul, yeah, you should uh, throw out the plug for your website and uh, what can people find when they go to Hangol Celluloid. Well, as most of you guys probably know, I focus on Korean stuff, exclusively film reviews, cast crew interviews, which there are quite a few, I'm proud to say. Of this film's director as well? Uh, I haven't actually interviewed him as yet. Maybe, hopefully in the future. I'm always hopeful, but, um, you know, loads of interviews, reviews, and every now and again I'll give a talk somewhere and I'll write it up so there are a set of essays on the site as well just talking about you know actors actresses including a talk i did on a film called singles which has one of the female actors of hyundai in it which we'll mention later on um so just pop over to hanglesamuelloy.com have a click about hopefully you'll find some interesting stuff and you can find my twitter feed on the home page and a link to the facebook deal so just click 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 Excellent. Uh, so, as for the rundown of uh, what to expect in this uh, episode on Tidal Wave, uh, first we'll go through, you know, the genre in a way and the actors uh, co- um, within uh, uh, Hyundai and the reception of it, um, as well as uh, director. And uh, uh, I'm going to take a stab in the dark and try and pronounce his name. The director of Tidal Wave is Yoon Je Kyun. Very good. Yeah. You're good. Yeah. You're getting good, man. If I do it slowly, then my brain will eventually get it and repeat it to to myself 5,000 times per hour. And and that just goes back to, you know, the thing I said that Koreans talk so quickly. It's why it just passes, half of it passes me by because it's just, a, no, say it slowly and I'll get it. I promise. Uh, we, we'll uh, we'll talk of his career at any rate, uh, Yoon Jae. Kyun, uh, his career in movies and, um, and uh, about this movie of course and we'll conclude the episode with our review of uh, Tidal Wave or uh, Hyundai uh, and I'll, I'll be putting timestamps in the show post uh, in case you want to navigate uh, directly to the review and the likes but uh, we're happy if you stay for the entire uh, the entire show so uh, uh, and uh, Hyundai is uh, you know geographically where it takes place so uh, that's where that's the district uh, it takes place in, therefore they use that name. Uh, so it's not like a, this uh, saying in Korean, right? Little district in East Busan, which is where the Busan Film Festival takes place. Um, it, it's only 51 kilometers wide. It's got you know about 150,000 people and it. it's a tiny little community, if you like, within Busan. Well, I'll, I'll say a little bit more later on about why I like calling the film Hyundai rather than Tidal Wave uh, on that subject, but we'll deal with that later. Uh, indeed, and uh, plot, uh, first of all, uh, I think I took this from um, Wikipedia. I uh, cut the spoiler things out of it, obviously. Uh, so, located on the southeastern tip of the Korean peninsula, the Hyundai uh, district of Busan draws uh, one million visitors to the beaches every year. Five years ago, Mansik, played by Sol Kyung-gu, that was the lead from Oasis, uh, recognized that face everywhere. 
in, in anywhere. It was, uh, I haven't seen him in another movie since. So uh, talk about uh, a lasting impact, you know. Well, that that uh, that's interesting. When we when we talk about him later on, well, well, well I'm well, sure I've seen him before and not noticed him. So maybe I'm being hypocritical. But it was like, hey, wait a minute, that that was that guy that raped that poor girl with uh, CP and Oasis, and they fell in love. <laughs> so. True, very true. It's a great movie. Pointed out. Um, I would say, out of all the things I've seen him in, he's least recognisable in the Oasis, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so you recognise him. Hey, you know, he's a memorable face. Good, very cool. And he plays uh, Mansik, a Hyundai local. Um, uh, he lost Hyun uh, He's father due to his mistake in the 2004 Indian Ocean earthquake. And uh, because of this, he could not be involved with Yon He, which is uh, our leading lady, played by Ha Ji Won. Uh, she runs, uh, as the movie cuts to 2009, an unlicensed seafood restaurant. Um, and uh, the two try to get this relationship started, but it's uh, it's rocky. It's not going the way Mansik uh, wants. Uh, uh, but uh, in the midst of this, he does plan to propose to her, but I suppose the tidal wave is coming at that point. That's a set of characters, another, another set of characters, and one in particular, geologist Kim Hui played by Park Jung-hoon, who I recognized immediately as well because he's in Nowhere to Hide. It was my first Korean movie ever, so I'm, I'm bound to recognize that face. And uh, he's the one that starts predicting that uh, a tsunami is coming and all of that. Uh, but he also has the issue of um, running into his divorced uh, wife. Uh, and they have a they have a shared daughter called Ji-min. Uh, she has a new boyfriend and they decide not to tell their daughter that the geologist uh, Kim is her father. So there's that drama as well. He has a tsunami drama and a family drama. This movie has a ton of groups of characters, so that's why I'm going through it a little bit choppily. A wealthy college student from Seoul, he, me, accidentally falls into a sea from a yacht. Uh, she is uh, saved by the character of Hyung Sik, which is Man Sik's younger brother. He's a lifeguard. And they become uh, so, sort of a. Uh, it's not a romantic involvement because she becomes angered by the violent rescue that he performs because uh, he uh, he gets pushed down into the water and he kind of knocks her out and then pulls her out of the sea. But they still begin to fall in love across the movie. Uh, it's a strange relationship. Finally, the geologist Kim notices that, this, that the Sea of Japan, the East Sea, is displaying similar activity to the Indian Ocean at the time of the 2004 Indian Ocean earthquake. The Disaster Prevention Agency assures him that South Korea is at no risk, but a mega tsunami soon forms near near japan and starts to travel towards the beaches in question so that's the um, group of characters that are gonna have to get out of the way i suppose uh, uh, so some background uh, you know we, we should get the elephant out of the room uh, right away i mean this movie was released in english-speaking territories as tidal wave which sounds nice and hard but it's mm-hmm. technically not correct since the movie depicts the threat of a tsunami but uh, you know if you want to look it up the search results uh, probably you know, you'll get it easier by googling Tidal Wave Korea or whatever. Uh, the, the search results will generate the connection to Tidal Wave and vice versa, I suppose. Uh, uh, rather than just typing in Hyundai, you'll probably get the links to a tourism board or something. <laughs> yeah, you know, if, if you really want to stick with Hyundai, if you type in Hyundai Korea film, it'll bring up Tidal Wave. So, um, <laughs> you know, either way, you'll be able to find everything you need. A little bit easier to. Um, Find and friend was back in the day, I suppose. So. Yeah, almost non-googable titles, but uh, if you just add movie, I suppose you're all right. So with that out of the way, it was sold as South Korea's first disaster film, and I guess my obvious question is, really, from my personal sort of lack of knowledge, 
they never attempted anything akin to this. You know, no tornado movie, no earthquake movie, no outbreak movie prior to uh, uh, Tidal Wave. Uh, so, you know, why wait this long also is my second question. Because they were technically solid in 2009. They knew CGI to an extent. So, uh, Not to completely burst anybody's bubble, but it's not entirely true. Um, certainly there were, there were no earthquake movies, no tsunami movies, but there were, you know, disaster movies. Um, way back in 2000, there was a film called um, Are You Ready?, which was completely overlooked. And it was about a group of young individuals escaping a plague of rats. And it was done mostly live action. And I think it was quite expensive and it didn't do very well. That was because at that time, CGI just wasn't an issue. But, you know, you could consider it a disaster, I guess. But the whole thing is, you know, CGI is so expensive. Korea has been slower than, say, Hollywood, for example. But it's really down to budget and timing. Because I was going to ask that, because when the new wave broke, there were movies that really had a focus on CGI, like Volcano High, that, that, that I'm sure were these wider Kung Fu martial arts movies, but had, you know, elements of CGI surrounding this. But like, like the rampant sort of usage of CGI wasn't triggered as the Korean New Wave broke with uh, Shirian onwards? You know, not really. I, not as much as you would expect. I mean, the whole thing about the Korean New Wave was they were bringing in such interesting stories that a lot of it was you know, could be covered with live action. You know, a lot of fight scenes they did as fight scenes rather than anything else. And if you look at some of the attempts of doing CGI, if you, if you think back to um, Save the Green Planet, phenomenal movie, but at the end they have a CGI uh, space scene that just is dire. Um, it, it's content great, but it looks really, really false. So, they, you know, they took their time, but it all comes down to... No, no, really? and, and no, like, part of me, no, no, like, focus on uh, uh, fantasy movies uh, with uh, you know p- people throwing powers and lightning bolts and colorful things like that. That all came sort of. You're you're, you're talking about Hyundai as sort of being the the lead into all that. You know, as the new Korean when the new Korean cinema wave was underway, Korea was domestically reinventing itself in terms of film, and it was only as it progressed that. You know, the whole, oh, we've got to really compete with Hollywood started to come in. And it's as that competition got greater that the big sort of, you know, universal disaster movies, threat movies started to play a part. But it was a very gradual thing. So, you know, they weren't behind particularly technically, but in terms of of the amount of budget that was needed, it was much easier to make notable films that were character driven, that didn't have wild tsunamis or you know hordes of zombies or whatever because they were less expensive and they they obtained the same goal and if if they had elements of melodrama they were going to hit more popular anyway um for many many years so i mean it was a pro it was a profitable movie business it was not like it was struggling for nine years until tidal wave uh, no no no, not at all but but their their focus really was on a, a different direction really and it's gradually changed as korean cinema has become more universal and the big companies have pushed and pushed towards let's get something that will be a success in action hollywood as well as in korea so it's it's moving it's still moving today but the, the amount of cgi you see now 
completely dwarfs the stuff that was even from 2010 to say 2013. So, uh, this is a question that I might cut out because I'm just curious and I'm forward of it right now. I never saw these, but uh, two, two movies spring to mind that I think were ambitious and maybe had uh, that level of uh, CGI or attempts at it. Uh, so, uh, Resurrection of Little Match Girl and that movie, Twenty O Nine Lost Memories or something like that. Uh, oh, were, yes. were, were they? I, I know they were panned and they're not very liked. But were, were they more obvious uh, attempts at uh, you know cranking the effects work? They kind of were, especially Lost Memories. Um, they were panned because their their actual their effects weren't that good. On top of their stories not being that good, they were they were trying, they were learning. Because that that, that was. Fairly early in the new millennium, right? Yeah, that was sort of 2003-4, before mid-2000s. You look at them, you can see it's really a work in progress, and they're not there yet. If you actually jump forward to, like, I think 2016, I mentioned it in the last podcast, there was a, a, a disaster movie that was loosely based on the towering inferno called The Tower, with Son Ye Jin, my imaginary wife in it. On the extras of that DVD, the the CGI guys actually sit there and say how disappointed they were that they couldn't manage to do the CGI properly because of budget, because of resources, and because of time. You know, and and more, I guess, more than any other film industry, Korean cinema always has a time issue, always has a budget and resource issue. So these things are hugely unbudget friendly and. Even if it at 2016, they're still having trouble getting things to look the way they want them to look. Um, it sort of screams of the problems they've had previously. So, yeah, because you can't be an industry that proclaims that we're going to be technically advanced and then not give the industry and its workers indeed, indeed. The, the, the time and space to do it uh, properly. And it doesn't need to be the latest and brightest technology. It just needs to be good. Yeah, it, so, it needs to be immersive and i mean for for the tower did did you notice that in the end product like oh wonky the thing about the tower obviously it's set it's about a tower block and it starts off uh, with the tower block blah 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 blah. a helicopter flies in and something goes wrong with it it spirals and it goes into the tower and causes a big explosion half of it works and half of it you can tell that it is CGI. You know, it's not like there's a little black line around it or anything. It just looks not completely realistic. And it's a shame because the rest of it really works. It's not the best film in the world at all, um, but it's faithful to the genre. You can notice there are little artifacts and et cetera, et cetera. So they're there now. I mean, if you look at last year, along with The Gods of the Two Worlds, not a great film. It was it became the second most successful film in Korean cinema history. Um, and it's the CGI in it is insane. It's every waking minute. Um, and they do a really good job. So, you know, they're there, but it's taken them a while to get there or have the confidence to say we're there. I mean, even in Hollywood, you, you can't say like from Terminator 2 and onwards that everything got better. I mean, no, totally. you, you look at some movies that made decades afterwards and they're clearly regressed. Yeah, because it's not fought out. What Terminator Two did was they they fought that out like a motherfucker. Pro yeah. The the difference there is that 
they 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 worked in tandem with physical effects, which made Terminator Two work so much more. And now physical effects is a little bit thing uh, thing of the past. So, um, so but it requires thought and uh, concept uh, needs to be uh, like greatly conceptualized. And uh, if time isn't allowed, then that's a problem. Indeed, uh, indeed. We'll get to the effects work of uh, of uh, Tidal Wave, but at any rate, uh, this uh, was uh, Hyundai the biggest hit of 2009 in South Korea with over 11 million admissions and a US dollar gross of nearly 70 million. Uh, beating big hitters from established directors uh, such as uh, Bong Joon-ho and his movie Mother. Uh, Park Chan-wook's first, it beat out as well. And and speaking of his director that made so much money, it reveals a filmography with, again, recognizable titles from that new millennium new wave. My Boss, My Hero, never seen, recognize the title. Sexy Zero, never seen, recognize the title. Old to My Father has been mentioned in this podcast, Confidential Agreement and so forth. You know, I, can, I can swear I've seen those movies make the top ten lists of their... Yeah, totally. uh, respective years in terms of admissions uh, but uh, so this was a big hit for you but you know prior to this what is it like browsing his filmography is it strictly commercial and audience friendly with little to no substance so what kind of nature you know does his movies represent uh, my boss my hero and stuff like that he, he's really been all over the place a lot of his career was very audience focused you know when you look back at my boss my hero and sex is zero and even sex is zero too which both had actress haji one in it she's the main you know she's yon he she's the main female character in hyundai um they were really archetypal new korean cinema you know comedy sex comedies that weren't really about sex but they were about the you know familial this that and the other oh to my father was a story about one guys and his relationship with his father very touching hugely successful a massive it's like made a made a few years ago four five six seven years ago yeah like that. four four five i think probably 2014 if i remember correctly um starring wang Min, big star you know we all know him from a man who was superman etc etc so you know those things all sort of speak of character based aimed at this that and the other but he also did sector seven which is about a group of people fighting a a, a mutant horde uh, you know i mean it, it's completely sci-fi completely fictional so he sort of jumped about a bit and hyundai just being such a complete disaster movie he's just switching and doing i think what he feels interested in doing do you sense he's uh you know, so many movies in. Like, uh, has he found his place? You think making movies like "Oh to My Father" and "Confidential Agreement," or he can make, he, he can veer off that path. You think, yeah, or he's gonna veer off that path again. You think? I, I think he 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 answers to himself. The the huge success of "Oh to My Father," and and obviously when you watch it, the the heartfelt feelings that he put into it sort of says that's that's really his deal. And if you look back at "Sex Is Zero, you know, it is essentially meant to be you know, a story of life and an uplifting story of life. So I think that's his sort of underlying deal, but he doesn't mind stepping away to do a bit of action, do a bit of sci-fi just because he wants to, I think, you know, and he can be relied upon. He's, you know, he's a successful guy. Let's be honest about it. Yeah, for sure. If, um, I don't know if uh, 2009 was his uh, was his first major successful year or if those movies prior had um, 
hit it big and yeah, commercially or not. But uh, uh, you know, if you if you again, if you look at Sex Zero, it, it is it is a classic of New Korean cinema. If you start looking into New Korean cinema in any way, you will come across that film at time and time again. It was a huge hit because it hit with a younger audience that had just rediscovered cinema. So, you know, he's he, he knows how to hit a home run, and he always has done, and he markets things and chooses things that fit with what people are looking for. It's not a director I hear too much about in the West, though. No, totally, totally. I mean, Ode to My Father, I think, got a US release. I think, certainly, it was never released in the UK. He's very much a Korean director. You know, all the people that have gone and bought what they call Tidal Wave, um, will know of the film and know of its fame. But I'll guarantee you, you ask them who directed it, they won't be able to tell you. Whereas you mentioned Parasite and they'll go, oh, that's Bong Joon-ho. So, yeah, he's he's not known internationally as a, a big name, though he should be. Uh, Hyundai or Tidal Wave was nominated at Korea's Grand Bell Awards in major categories such as Best Film, uh, Director, uh, uh, Best Actor, as well as Technical Awards, as you would expect, uh, Cinematography, Visual Effects. But it walked home uh, empty-handed, that ceremony. Uh, the likes of Divine, The Divine Weapon won Best Film. Best Director went to Kim Jong-hwa for the movie Takeoff. Uh, best Actor was uh, given to Kim Myung-min for the performance in Closer to Heaven. And looking at those Grand Bell Awards, there seems to be an awful lot of movies awarded rather than one dominating and sweeping the main category. So, you know, what's your take on that Grand Bell Awards and uh, I suppose 2009 in, in general? And isn't that wonderful, by the way, that you get an award, you get an award, everybody gets an award. Well, yeah, totally. I mean, the, the, out of all the, the, the Korean award ceremonies, the, the Grand Bell is pretty broad and they always make a point of pointing to as many films in as many categories as possible and you got to give them points for that but 2009 was a really strange year because you had you had some really critically acclaimed films that didn't necessarily hit home as much as you would expect them to and certainly since they've become they've had a reputation you know far greater than they had at the time i mean you had portrait of a beauty that year which you know blew my socks off and it got a cinematography award but nobody really talked about the story at all you also that year like you said you bong joon ho's mother which the only award it got was for best supporting actor for for actor jin gu you'd thirst from park chanuk which i uh, wasn't mentioned at all you know you'd scandal makers you'd the old partner 2009 the first half of 2009 broke all Korean cinema records. At which point in the year was this brought out, though, uh, Hyundai? Was it a summer release? I think it was after summer, but before winter. It was sort of late in late three quarters of the way through. I, I'm surprised it didn't get any awards because it is technically, it does what it does. But at the end of the day, it is a disaster movie. And some of the things that did win... Were, were huge, you know, I mean, Sue um, who we actually talked about in our last podcast, she was the main female character in The Flu. She got the Grand Bell that year for Sunny, which was massive, but it, it was a, a female-led relationship age drama. You know, The Good by the Weird got an award. So there were some really big films that hit in some places and not others, and it, it just, it, seem to scatter everything it's it's just really strange like you said there was no 
one big single thing that kept hitting and hitting and hitting. Uh, by the way, can't just correct myself. Uh, I was wrong. It picked up one award, and I'm not sure what the planning entails, but it won the Grand Bell Award for Best Planning, going to director Yoon Jae Kyun. So it won that. So, uh, so pardon me for that mistake. But uh, well, at least at least it got something. No, I don't know what planning is either. It it it's feels like more a, a um, something to do with the producing side of things, uh, and uh, he was involved in that as well. Uh, did you like the best film uh, selection, The Divine Weapon, necessarily? I, th- I thought The Divine Weapon was certainly watchable. I wouldn't have termed it in any way the best film of the year, put up against Mother, put up against Thirst, put up against The Old Partner, you know, even Sonny. I cried at Sonny, which is a sad thing to say. Um you know, I was sitting next to a, a young Korean girl in the audience that I didn't know. And, uh, you know, it's a it's a an emotional film. And about three quarters of the way through, she tapped me on the shoulder and said, it's OK to cry. <laughs> Marry me. <laughs> you know, bear, yeah. Where's that hole in the ground when you need it? It's OK, Paul. It's OK. You're invested. That's lovely. Well, totally. You know, there are, were a lot of really good films that year that I think deserved it more than the divine weapon but you know it hit on the the whole you know fighty fighty kind of martial artsy thing it, it's okay it's watchable uh, wouldn't have been my choice in any way shape or form uh, as for the awards it did win uh, Hyundai because award season is busy and there's several of them so uh, for instance uh, it got a best new actor or uh, prize going to actor Lee Min Ki at the 46th Paxan Arts Awards. The cinematography was recognized by the Korean Association of Film Critics, uh, their award ceremony, and director Yoon was given a Best uh, Director Award at the Boyle Film Awards, which is uh, hosted by the Busan Ilbo newspaper. So uh, he got some, and uh, I'm sure those meant uh, something to the cast and crew. And finally, on, on acting, with this being a genre movie, and I often ask this question, but uh, how, how did you cause this this one? Because uh, we got plentiful faces, and uh, they all look very different, and they're different age, and uh, there's not a lot of hunks in this movie, uh, necessarily. I know some are veteran faces, just because I know they've been in movies that are 20 years old by now, but uh, you know, what was it a mixture of veteran faces and fresh faces of commercial cinema that occupied this one or did he sprinkle a little bit of everything from thespians to newcomers and audience favorites kind of both i mean he's he's heading towards big names you know he's got a big disaster film he wants he wants names that are going to drag bums on the seats um if you look at the the main obviously the main characters Sol kyung who you know from oasis he was in peppermint candy right back you know, in the early 2000s, since he's he's just, he's the most prolific actor you could ever meet. He's on Memoir of a Murderer. Oh, was he the main guy in Memoir of a Murderer? Yes, he was. Oh, how could I forget? I like that film. Exactly. You know, he did hope about a true true life uh, story of a a young woman who was sexually devastated, and I mean that in a really bad way. Um, One of the most moving films you'll ever see. That's a couple of years ago, and even last year he did a film called Birthday, which was about the Seoul ferry disaster, which is just heartbreaking. He's he's huge. Massive. You know, in 2019 he did three films. In 2020 he's set to do another two. So he's he's majorly famous, majorly prolific, and has been for years. Same goes for the lead actress, Haji Won, one of the first Korean ladies I became dangerously obsessed with. Um, she was in 
loads of new Korean cinema classics back in the day. And, you know, she still looks gorgeously young. Um, she was in The Phone, Ditto, uh, The Duelist, which is uh, visually stunning. She was in Sex is Zero. Um, and she's still working again to this day. She's got a film out later this year called Collateral. Down to Park Jun, I'm going to stop talking about it. There are quite a few of them. Down to Park Jun Hoon, which you know you know from nowhere to hide um he was huge back in the day in new korean cinema and uh chilsu and mansu as well speaking of movies we've we've covered totally massive star he he acted up until 2012 then he went into directing and he did one film called top star since then he sort of moved into television and the same goes for um jung wa who is the the his ex-wife i guess if you like, the, the older-ish lady. Huge new Korean cinema star, you know, Princess Aurora. She was in singles um, with, you know, sadly, rest in peace, Jan Jin Young. She was, you know, she's carried on working and she moved into TV. The other stars, Lee Min Ki, who's the young lifeguard, Gang Yi Won, who's the, the cute girl who falls in love with him. Um, they're all slightly newer, but they've been building names for themselves and they've been in some you know, well thought of big action things or character things. So he's sort of half and half. His little casts, he's got new and kind of well thought of younger people. But for the big hitters, he's got the big hitters, you know. Do you think they, they are commercial appeal to a degree or, or was this uh, as successful as it was because uh, the allure of Korea and maybe they pushed this into promotion? Yeah, the, the allure of Korea's first disaster movie, money, money, money. I think that was a big part of it, but I think the fact that it's Sok Young Gu and Haji Wong, I mean, they're just, they're beloved. They're really beloved. They'll be the extra draw. And, you know, when this came out in 2019, star, star power in Korea was still massive, much more massive than it is today. So, absolutely all of the above. He looks really, I mean, it's strange. We talked of, uh, I recognized him from Oasis immediately and did not recognize him in memoir of a murderer, but I was like caught up in the movie. So he looks totally the same since the early 2000s. That face has just been kept thoroughly, thoroughly intact and men tend to age. And he looked kind of old in Oasis too, but the, the role was worn and his ex-con and, you know, it's, it, it's just dirty and kind of depressing and dysfunctional but very loving at the same time like he, he wasn't a suave looking character then but i would expect between oasis and memoir memoir of a murder for him to look a little bit more warm but uh, i don't know he looked more tiny in that movie yeah you know the funny thing is you look back to oasis and, and even more for me peppermint candy and you've got a guy that looks exactly as he does now you know he was in birthday last year and he looks exactly the same memoir of a murderer they aged him up a bit he was an old guy with gray and hair so um with kind of mental problems so you know that steps out of the mark rather than in same for haji wong phone was what 2001 you know we're talking we're talking 10 years later and she hasn't got a single wrinkle and park jun hoon who nowhere to hide was what 90 97 i think 99 i would say 99 okay well there you go decade later um he's in hyundai and he looks virtually the same his hair's just a little bit longer that's it and he even chills with man so uh he wasn't uh, this uh oddly young 
you know that face you pops immediately so uh, yeah totally it's just they they don't they don't seem to age they don't seem to be too young back in the day but they they just they've managed and they're not pushed out in favor of you fiber like uh, they have a place on the marketplace which is, uh, which is really nice to see We've reached the review stage, and as for my short opinion, uh, it's going to be kind of interesting because me and Paul watched two different versions of the film. There's a uh, there's a long version and a sh- shorter version for international purposes. Uh, uh, and as reviews have stated, as for my short, short opinion here, it, it follows genre structure by setting up characters, connected or not, but most of them are connected, what their com- immediate concerns and conflicts are, and then you add the disaster as a mean of either strengthening bonds on, or there'll be... Uh, you know, uh, severed by death. You know, so you know you've seen that in U.S. movies from the seventies and whatever. Airport, towering inferno, blah blah blah. The problem here is that director Yoon uh, Jae Kyun kind of fails to understand this because the problem is that these ordinary men and women and their drama are dialed up to eleven men, uh, especially in the longer version. Not as much in the shorter, for comedic and dramatic purposes. You know, partly. They're working men and women, but some of them are slobs and they shout all the time and they get drunk all the time. And I'm sorry to say they act very annoyingly. And even on a basic genre picture level, it's annoyingly hard to connect when the tsunami comes and quite late in the picture, actually. The technical showcase is all right. But uh, I think uh, there's been some damage to the film that it never recovers from. I didn't really care what happened to anyone by by yeah, maybe Park's character because he he's uh, the straight man and the geologist. He isn't goofy or shouty or drunky uh, throughout the movie. So I, I really did not like it. Um, it. It was okay once the chaos started, but uh, it, it was grating to a degree. Uh, but they cut quite a lot of the grating stuff out of the international version. So. Uh, maybe that will play better at 100 minutes versus two hours, but uh, that's what I thought anyway. Uh, so, as for your short opinion, watching that shorter version, there is there a sense of that that the characters are loud and shouty and dramatic and melodrama is dialed up to 11 in that one? Or what's your observations? Much less so. You watched a two-hour film. I watched a film that's 103 minutes. The early, I don't know what stage of your film the tsunami actually starts to hit but one uh one hour 15 in there's some rumbles between uh but, but they literally when it's 45 minutes left then it comes in the 103 minutes the tsunami hits with half an hour to go so essentially you've got two-thirds of the film which is the lead up to and we've already said it's called tidal wave internationally and i prefer to call it hey hyundai because for me this is supposed to be a disaster movie, but it's not a disaster movie. An hour of this film is what Yoon Jae-kyun is good at or was good at. It's a small community character story where he build, tries to build relationships, regardless of what's going to happen and how big it is. If you look at the, the films of the time that were of places in Busan and the like, there were a lot of films that did this thing. And then there'd be a little you know, personal thing that went on that was the big hit of the film. And I think that's what he tried to emulate. And then because he was trying to do a disaster movie, he adds that at the end rather than the smaller thing. And it just doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, the intent and the structure is 
it's the correct thinking going into it. So I'm not saying he has uh, he understands it, but fails to understand the execution of it. But and maybe it's more Korean in that way with the loudness and the shoutiness and the melodrama, of course. But uh, still, it um, it uh, it made my skin crawl a little bit. That, uh, well, it, it kind of is. There, there is, and I'm just talking off the top of my head. There is a, a an old new Korean cinema film from way back. Um, first first love affair, I think it's called. Um, where the main male character does nothing for the first half hour but yell every line of dialogue. And it was it was kind of a thing back then. And he seems to be doing the same thing here. It's less, I assume, in the shorter version than the longer version because it didn't annoy me humongously. But even at that, to me, this isn't a disaster movie. That tsunami could have been anything less. And, and that hour it takes to build up, even though it's shorter than yours, it's way too long, way too involved. And the disaster suddenly takes over, fair enough. But it's still an, almost, it seems like an afterthought. And I know that's not what he intended, but that's the way it comes across. So I was, for a huge part of it, I was frustrated. I started to enjoy the tsunami thing. And then you realize it's only going to be on there for another little time because there's not that much more time to go yeah i mean i mean by, by the nature of it the tsunami doesn't come like tenfold and or anything like i mean it, it comes uh twice essentially and that's big enough obviously we know real life tsunamis are devastating obviously so if you think disaster movies you you, you need to sort of think back on people who do at least uh, the chaos and destruction well and you have a western director or a german director really uh, Ro- roland emmerich with independence day and day after tomorrow and so forth and he does that well with the chaos and the destruction but he's not much of a character driven director they're 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 sort of cardboard cutouts but he easily got away with it in a movie like independence day because some of those characters are kind of entertaining to watch and uh, there, there's a good mixture between uh you know pew pew uh, blow blowing up stuff and then some uh, stuff with the president and will smith punching aliens and uh that works that's functional and it seems like tidal wave is going to get going quickly because he opens with a sequence that could be like korea's version of the perfect storm uh you know and uh, at the same time people are re- printing readouts and they're calling other people about the pending disaster like get out of there get out of there and uh there's even english dialogue from the he- helicopter pilot like hurry the tsunami is here get the get a fucking move on i love that the tsunami is here like it's the titular character of the movie <laughs> yeah uh kind of clunky clunky dialogue but they don't use english extensively at all it's just for that thing so the intention is to start with a bang uh, backstory and then build on that of course and that's understanding genre and structure i'm sure they contemplated that it's gonna feel a bit clunky that the tsunami is gonna hit on the sort of anniversary or death day of the prior tsunami but i, I don't mind that structure paul because before knowing the entire extent of the movie i didn't mind it because that could be kind of just stupid fun that uh, yeah. it's tsunami too the revenge <laughs> And, you know, it's kind of a diehard thing. Like, how can the same thing happen to the same, in this case, guy and girl twice? Then he spends so much time with uh, setting up the characters. And again, structurally, I get it. And it's good that you set up people, you know, being in a stormy sort of multi-relationship type of deal. And uh, they have a reason to nag. They have a reason to be distraught. Uh, They're going to be driven out by corporate interests. Uh, And... uh, but the more I spend time with uh, with Choi Man, 
Sick. But uh, it's all like Kyung uh, Goose character. The more I spent time with him, I, I wanted more sincerity from him as a struggling character wanting to uh, get a relationship going with uh, Yeon Hee, but also struggling with the fact that he's, he's, his business and himself are going to be pushed out by corporate interests. And then he spends his time being really drunk and being really loud for large parts of the movie, including in a scene at a baseball game that's in, almost entirely cut out of the international version. And there's the intent to have distraught characters and their connection to each other uh, be this loud and in your face and you know almost sloppy and drooly and drunky. It really got on my nerves. I wanted something a little bit... I wanted a mixture between some sincerity and that. Because he has sincerity in him, that character. That soul plays, Choi Mansik. He wants to help her out. But it really got, got on my nerves. So the more they depicted him and other characters are equally sort of... They're losers, they're slobs, yes. Mm. But it didn't feel compelling to sit there with them when it's so... Uh, uh, outrageously so as depicted and I don't uh, again the, the, these are impressions from the full version and I don't know if you listening to me got the same impression at all from the shorter version in terms of the loudness of it all I was aware of it and you are kind of aware that if you're aware that there is a longer version that you can sort of tell which bits have been cut because it's kind of obvious in hindsight um for for me it was the fact that along with his loudness and drunkenness he's one of the most ineffectual characters i've ever met and <laughs> i i couldn't get past the fact that haji Wan's female character you know actually did want to be with him because why would she you know yeah he seems a little bit too out of control i don't know if the, the, the baseball game where he's also drunk yet lost for so long but but there, there's other scenes where he gets drunk at her restaurant and um i don't know if they cut that but uh, you know at the same time he seems well cast for image and the characters are in terms of depicting uh, depicting these as working men and women rather than uh, suave uh, actors that totally. we are fishermen and <laughs> we're totally handsome that's good but it really it really I, i'm sorry to repeat myself but it really got on my nerves to the point where i didn't care and i wanted to invest even in the disaster movie type of way and i couldn't i do tend to agree i mean i just i find it hard to like the majority of the characters really and that's not necessarily because they shouted even though they did um because i had less of that than you did i just i didn't think they were they were nicely fleshed out characters i didn't find them believable they were they were essentially like caricatures of you know a rural community and it just it didn't sit well from this the very get-go i mean how, how much of the um the relationship between the lifeguard and the the, the girl how, how much of that was intact because you know after he rescues her she seeks him out but it seems like they're always fighting always at odds with each other and he dislikes her because she's so she, she's so out of control and she's so dramatic i think at one point they state that she does study acting and it seems like she's channeling that for some reason but he gets he, he doesn't seem to like her very much at all and then we sort of ask to connect to them when when uh, when the tsunami hits and that that doesn't work either so no there's a, there's, there's clearly a lot of little bits that have been cut because the feeling i got from the international version was that even though she's you know she's very very feisty etc etc uh, i actually got the feeling he liked her there is a point 
where, and I think this was one of the big cuts, where uh, one of her so-called friends uh, threatens him and says, stay away from my, my fiancé, even though he's not engaged to her. Yeah, it's this uh, rich boy who owns a yacht. And, yeah, uh, he, I, I, he, think, uh, I, I think that went on for a long period of time in your version of mine. It, it's a 30-second, punch him twice, stay away from my girlfriend. And from that, you got the feeling in, in my version that that's why he's not staying away from her. Um, they only have one interaction where she waits for him and he says, I don't want to see you. And he doesn't say anything. We didn't find anything out about that other character until he was strapped under a helicopter towards the end of the film. That cut doesn't make a lot of sense when I think about it in my head because uh, that that helicopter scene where they're all, the three of them are involved, it, it not that it was meaningful or impactful or made me teary-eyed, but he's a big character that's been quite a bully. And even uh, has gangster tendencies. Uh, at least he has a posse around him that are willing to watch him kick the shit out of this uh, tiny little life lifeguard. So, uh, but but the, you know the, the structure of tons of let's call it broad stuff. Thirty seconds of pending tsunami. I understand that that's supposed to be built up, but it was for me it was a frustrating balance because the longer the movie ran, the more I realized that. It's going to be a long time since we until we get a tsunami, and I am finding it hard to relate, even on a basic genre level. And, uh, you know, I was longing for more extended periods of uh, Park Joon Hoon's character, but he all, he just appears in little bursts, uh, even in the long version. You know, a little bit like, it's happening. No, it's not going to come here. And then yeah, 15 yeah. minutes later, it's still happening. <laughs> and now it's really happening. Uh, it, it was uh, his scenes were not that his role is this uh, character piece that's amazing but I, I wanted more of that seriousness and that drive to the disaster movie that it's coming and it's coming but the director really did too few bursts of that and, and those bursts were woefully short and minute in my eyes totally I, I wholeheartedly agree and it just again it for me, it felt like the whole disaster thing was being offset because that's not what the film's about. And then suddenly it is what the film's about. And you know you're going into a disaster movie, but you're getting not a disaster movie. And as you're going through, you think you're getting a, whether you enjoy it or not, you're getting a, a small communal relationship drama that then you've got a disaster movie. It doesn't hit whatever way you think about it, for me, the way it should. When it kicks off, though, how do you think... Uh the excitement level uh, ranks and the effects work and so forth. Uh, did that get to you with those sequences where they cut between different uh, locations and different characters, uh, you know, the bridge and on the beach and so forth? Uh, it, it, was, it was pretty much what I expected it to be because it's so short in comparison to the rest. I immediately thought, well, this is going to be the tsunami hitting and we've now got to figure out which characters are going to live and which ones are going to die. And that's exactly what happens not to give too many spoilers away um it was almost too much of an afterthought and yeah the cgi works okay um i've seen better i, I mean for instance uh, the mixture between actors running around in actual water and then the, the superimposed water if you will uh, did you think that that was convincing as waves came across actors that were already in water I, it may be me just assuming but i to me it was noticeably you know, created. And it may be just me knowing that they've used CGI, so therefore I'm looking for it. Um, I think it could have been 
I could have been better done. It could have been worse done. It, it works okay. You, you know, because they are in a, for me, it worked a little bit better than, than for you because they were in quite extensive physical locations, presumably sets. You know, for instance, when they're running on the street and the, the water is now muddy and it's come, you know, it's coming to them and uh, the possibility of being electrocuted because the set seems so uh, quite big. And when the big waves hit, I thought that merger was okay. I mean, it's not exemplary, but uh, it wasn't a big CG painting. So to their credit, they 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 had uh, quite a physical space uh, to work on. They did, and and those segments worked as as well as as you would expect them to. Mainly, you know, because those are character driven as much as anything else whether it's you know Sokyung Yu and Haji Won hanging on a, a lamppost or whatever they worked in terms of that and it looked kind of expansive in terms of alleyways and whatever the the bigger scenes I, I sort of knew what I was expecting and that's kind of what I got the scene on the bridge that uh, then uh, involves one of the main characters I've forgotten his name and the actor I'm sorry I, I know who you're talking about. His name is Kimin Kwon. He uh, manages to avoid a bunch of shipping containers just dropping on the bridge left and right and uh, avoid death. And I think that wasn't the time to make a Roadrunner cartoon, which it unfortunately is because they, they it seems like it lands on his head like like uh, like a Roadrunner cartoon or Bugs Bunny or whatever, and then it turns out that nah, he missed him by a centimeter. I thought that was not a good choice amidst uh, the seriousness to make him like ooh, getting away, getting away. Ooh, I nearly died. I, I I agree with you as well. The only thing I'll say is in terms of the sort of CGI side of things, that works better than a lot of the other. So you know, technically it looks it looks okay, but. It is a little bit, and there is one other thing to say, and not to give any spoilers away, but at the end of part of that scene, he goes to light a cigarette, and his lighter has a bigger flame than he expects, and he throws it away, and for a good 30 seconds, we look at the lighter, which is disposable lighter, which has been thrown away and is sitting on a wall, and is still lit. I... It's not a Sippo, people, it's a big lighter. Yeah, it's 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 a you know a big plastic lighter that you can't get to light anyway. Um, as a smoker, I dare anybody to take one of those lighters, strike it, and let their hand away and see if it stays lit for thirty seconds. It annoyed me so greatly. It completely pulled, and it's a tiny thing, but it just completely pulled me out of immersion um, to the point where I just you know kettle went on. There are some uh, scenes of peril that uh, got you got your heart racing a little bit. I like the concept of the of it, like one character is trapped in a hotel room, and the hotel's windows have been uh, blown out by this point because it's flooded with water. That character is slowly but surely uh, going towards the surface and is going to drop quite a bit uh, from quite a high height. Um, that was a neat little uh, concept. That uh, oh my god, that, that could happen. Like he's just gonna go out with the water, and uh, again, it seemed like a quite a um, physical scene. Not a lot of CG water necessarily. See, it seemed accomplished as made. I suppose the dial to eleven melodrama is something that's hard to criticize because I know why it's there 
why yeah. it's because it's emotional component for all audiences. You're, you're not going to deal in subtle non-verbal melodrama as characters characters are connected once more and some characters are disconnected forever and ever. So yeah, yeah. I'm not really going to criticize that because I get why it's there. I'm just going to say that only a select part of the character character gallery I thought was worth caring for. Um, and uh, but but it didn't strike this uh, melodramatic touch that got to me. It was like, yeah, this is what these movies do. And I get it. So I'm, I'm not going to criticize the melodrama uh, to 11 in this one because it just simply is... Um, it is. It is what it is, and, and you know, especially and, and, and in not terms unexpected of, for a local audience. Either. Yeah, certainly in terms of Korean cinema, if it wasn't there, uh, you, you'd be wondering why, and it may be dialed up, but that's kind of understandable. I mean, even uh, disaster movies do it elsewhere. I mean, again, look at Independence Day. It's a it, it, it's a patriotic movie. Like I read about it, they crank that, and it's fine and it's fun too. So maybe even a melodrama could be. For certain audiences, maybe they think it's fun that it's so uh, that it's so emotional, you know. Mm. So I don't know, uh, but uh, but yeah. So it's uh, maybe it plays well at one hundred minutes, but uh, this was uh, the this was a number one movie that that uh, did not play uh, well with me, and uh, all the effects work in the world could not turn around that verdict, even though I admired some of it. So. So, but I'm happy to have uh, gotten it into my memory bank, and uh, I'm also happy to confirm that not not just Western American UK poster designs are deceptive. Even Koreans poster yeah. designs are deceptive because if you look at the poster for this movie, the original ones, it features two characters that are not in that scene whatsoever. You'll know when you see the movie that wait a minute, they weren't there; they were hanging there. But it looks better and more hard to do it that way because they are the leads after all. Yeah, totally. And it's the same images used in the UK as well, just so you know. And for the US too. So it was not like they uh, came up with their sort of harebrained solution. <laughs> it, it's a good looking image, but it's it is. just incorrect. But uh, hey, uh, that's just kind of fun uh, because uh, th- then you get an insight into marketing and marketing knows best, I suppose. Well, hmm. sometimes. Maybe. It wouldn't have been as hard as having people hanging from a pole. You know? Yeah, yeah, true. So, uh, do you have any notes on the tidal wave of it all? The one final thing I'll say is that, you know, I like the cast. I really do, and I respect what they've done before. This didn't show them off the way it should be, and that's especially in the case of the young girl who's the daughter of the tsunami guy. Um, her name is Kim Yu jong you may wonder why I'm bringing her up, but she's she's only she's only in a couple a few scenes. She's a tiny little part, but if you look at her career before and after, she was in The Chaser, she was in Possessed, she was in a phenomenal film called Thread of Lies. She was even in Sympathy for Miss, excuse me, Sympathy for Lady Vengeance. She, from her young years, has been a phenomenally talented actress. If if nothing else you get from Hyundai is to remember the name of Kim Yoo Jung and check out her other films because she's going from strength to strength and she's she's now you know late teens I guess and her career's going through the roof and rightly so. Uh, at any rate, uh, as for availability of uh, Hyundai or Tidal Wave, it's on US DVD and Blu-ray as Tidal Wave from uh, Magnolia. 
Uh, it might be Magnolia and Magnet releasing because the, the Magnet logo, I think, was before my stream purchase. Uh, it includes extras uh, too uh, from the Korean versions, presumably. You can also rent it or buy it digitally, such as on Amazon Prime and US iTunes. Uh, there's also a few Asian DVD editions available from Thailand, from Hong Kong and, and uh and uh, Korea, but uh, they did do a limited edition pressing on Blu-ray as well as co- in Korea. But that is listed as listed as out of stock. As for UK options, there's a cheap DVD version. Uh, I, I, Amazon said Studio Canal, but uh, you said it was uh, Optimum releasing. Certainly in the UK, when the version I got came out, it was Optimum releasing. Optimum Asia, actually, but. And uh, that's uh, only DVD and nothing on Prime uh, Video nor iTunes in the UK. And I do note that that's the shortened international version uh, compared to the US side that both on disc and on the streaming side features the two-hour version. And of course in Asia, I presume uh, they won't feature the international version at all. Uh, unless they did like a deluxe thing with the Korean Blu-ray and featured both, who knows. But uh, uh, presumably that primarily because uh, in uh, across asia doesn't mean international <laughs> you know it's more the western version is the shorter yeah. uh, version so uh, but uh, at any rate uh, happy to have watched it regardless to form an opinion on something i've heard of a little bit here and there so perhaps uh, what what other movie should i pursue from the director like sh- should i go to oh to my father or confidential agreement or um i i would straight off the bat say oh to my father be prepared for you know, a very heartfelt, emotional film. Uh, it's very quiet, but that's one of its strengths. And not too um, local and Korean in flavor where I need to know tons of Korean stuff to understand Not at it. all. I mean, it is essentially Korean in flavor, but that what it talks about is essentially universal. Right, so it's not historical only. So, so it's, a, it's essentially, you know, one one person's thoughts and memories of, of his father so uh, you know we, we've all been there so very cool well well it's in the title so um let's uh, try and pursue that because i want to have a good impression of the director but clearly have because clearly has left a good impression <laughs> so uh, and i'm always uh, curious at least sometimes to see w- what directors were actually acclaimed for w- how they do when they venture into something very commercial if they do good or bad in this case not good bad <laughs> in actuality and, and then see how they maybe rebound or maybe if they find their voice doing something else uh, that's always interesting so i might try out to my father it should be out there in some shape or form if not then i'll just annoy you and get a copy from you it's it's it, i think as far as i know i seem to remember it being out there quite easily um, just so you know there are a lot of characters they do a lot of dialogue i don't remember any of them shouting at the top of their lungs or getting massively drunk every now and again. And there were no tsunamis at all, so it's the one to go for. My requisite for, for a movie, I suppose. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be looking forward to it, checking out the voice a little bit um, in uh, in a different way to see uh, to see what it does provide. Uh, so uh, that's us for this episode. Uh, for all your podcast on Fire Network needs, go to podcastonfire.com where you'll find What's Korean Cinemas? catalogue back catalogue of uh, of uh, episodes and we also do bonus episodes every now and again we tend to produce as varied 
amount of um, sort of material as we can. Whenever we do do uh, two episodes, uh, we try to connect those two and present them like two weeks apart or a week apart, and uh, we'll see what we'll do in the future if we're going to go if we're going to do Parasite, because by that point it should be available to us, and uh, we're really sure. I don't care if we do a timed, like a perfectly timed with release date review of Parasite uh, or any movie, because that's not how I work. I kind of, I, I know this is like, uh, well, you're not going to be famous thinking like this, Ken, but I kind of detest doing things on one of those deadlines, because I don't, I'm not I'm not after those clicks on the yeah, day. Yeah, totally, you know totally. Uh, and I don't think I'll do I'll do my best work that way, to be honest. Uh, it's a bit frustrating. So if it's not my job to put out the review on time, then I'd rather wait until I have something digital and in hand or in hand for the likes of Parasite. And then we'll do it uh, a month or two afterwards or whatever. So, uh, But I have other Bong Joon-ho movies uh, in my nose because I, I think it's fair to explore more than just memories of murder and the like. So I have like oh, a mother, mother in my notes or whatever. So uh, uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, this is us at any rate um, uh, signing off. So I've been Kenny B and I'm going to leave it to you to do a final plug and take us out. I've been Paul from com. See you soon and hopefully see you on the site too.